Um, most of you know, most of you here will know Nick and Karen. They've been with us a number of times over the last few years. Nick and Karen lead Mercy Commons Church in Fullerton. They're a part of our advanced partnership that Capital City Church is a part of. Um, it's moments like these that, that the reality of partnership obviously is much more apparent. But I just want to, before you all, say how blessed Shannon and I have been through your friendship um, over these last few years of just the wisdom, uh, the joy, the fun, but really just the stability that you guys are. And, um, and so for this church, we just want to receive you today in all that the Lord has for us, but really as friends, and also just looking forward to the voice that the Lord would ha- speak through you to us. So I just asked Karin to just welcome us and give us a greeting from Mercy Commons. Good morning. I do bring greetings to you from Mercy Commons. They hold you dearly in their hearts and pray for you often. Matt and Shannon have come down and just been a blessing to us and spurred us on. And so there is personal connection and um, tenderness in, our, in their hearts, our hearts, for you. Um, and so just as I was kind of praying for you guys, I just asked God, you know, if there was anything to just spur you on. Oh, my gracious. Sorry, when you get... No, not anymore. It's gone. Um, when you get old, you have to wear glasses, and it just um, complicates matters because you can't see and, you know... <laughs> my eyes would tell a different story, Ricardo. Um, so, yeah, he's in, he, when he's in trouble, he's Ricardo. Um, so I was just reminded of um, Moses when he um, is appealing to the Lord on behalf of the people in Exodus. And he says to the Lord, please show me your ways that I may know you. And then, God, please show me your glory. And God says to him, okay, I'll make my goodness pass before you, but I have to hide you in the cleft of the rock and you'll see my back. And then the Lord passes before him and he says, he declares who he is. Um, He proclaims, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions, Um, but no means clearing the guilty, um, but revisiting the iniquity of the fathers unto the children and the children's children. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And I just felt for you guys that you're in a season. We are now in a new covenant where Jesus himself is the rock into which we are hidden. And we no longer get to see the back of God. We get to stand face to face with him in the throne room because of what Jesus did. And I feel like if you ask God to show you who he is, to reveal himself to you, he's going to do that and you'll be spurred into a deeper place of worship. So, Thanks, Karen. Well, Lord, we just uh, thank you for our brother and our sister. We thank you for the partnership of Mercy Commons. Thank you for the love that Nick has for this church. We pray, Lord, that you would now Just speak to us through him in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Guys, it's such a privilege to be here. Um, As Karen said, we bring uh, greetings from Mercy Commons. Uh, We just went through a series in Jonah, which is why I'm wearing the shirt. So, um, but... But this is a narwhal, and nobody actually knows what swallowed Jonah, so it could have been a narwhal. 
which to many people don't know is actually a real thing. It's not just a cartoon character. There are things that exist as narwhals. Well, um, let me pray. Yeah, I know Matt prayed. I just want to make sure it's covered. You know. <laughs> Jesus, every time we open our mouths in prayer, it is a declaration of dependence on you and your spirit. Uh, we are not ashamed to say that we are a needy people. We're not ashamed to say that when and as often as we need to, we ask for help and you meet us. And I want to pray this morning uh, that you would show us the face of Jesus. Um, I want to thank you that we don't have to hide ourselves in a rock, but through the power of your word, you are able to show us the beauty and majesty of not, not only who your son is, but what he has done and accomplished for us. I want to pray that your spirit would empower the preaching of your word. And I want to pray, Father, that as we leave here, we would not only be encouraged and stirred, um, but we would be more passionately in love with our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's been a tough year. Um, last year, this time, I was um, coming home from Nepal and India, and uh, I, I landed in the States and thought, y'all lost your minds, you know? <laughs> Um, you know, being in Nepal and India, not hearing any of this, uh, you know, the 7th of March last year, or maybe it was the 8th of March, was the last time we met indoors. Um, and so we are currently meeting outdoors on a soccer field. Um, thankfully, the Southern California weather plays along with those things. But it's been, it's been a difficult year. It's been a year not only in terms of COVID, but with the election where contempt has been um, has, has risen, polarization has risen, division. Um, and the challenge is that, that mostly what I've seen across the church has been a sense of Christians looking burdened, um, not looking like uh, their burden is easy and the yoke of Jesus is light, but being burdened not, and not only by what is happening around them, but how are we supposed to respond? What is, what is a gospel-measured response in all of these situations? A friend of mine said that um, we, we should worry less about being exposed to the virus and more about being exposed by the virus. Um, and so what has happened in our hearts and in our communities and in our nation is there's been this exposure of how we think and how we feel and how we react because of what's happened. There's, there's been a sense in which a lot of our communities have, have taken on the idea of comfort and convenience and safety and security over the call of Jesus to carry our cross. Uh, there's been the sense in which the, the call to be salt and light, um, the call to actually be able to stand on things that are true has been ground out and drowned out. And as we contend for the gospel, we look as those uh, that are enemies and wanting to fight with the people that God has called us to, to reach, um, to reach, well, to reach. Uh, my... Um, my, my prayer as I was praying for um, Capital City was when I, when I think of you guys um, and when Matt has boasted, and he has, uh, as he should, uh, about the kind of faith community you've been, I, th I think of really two things. I think of a community that has contended for the purity of the gospel. Um, and, uh, and I want to commend you for that. And I also think of a community that wants to pursue what it looks like to walk by the Spirit. Um, and those two things are so precious. And those two things are so important. And so, so when I think of those two things, what does it look like to contend for the purity of the gospel? What does it look like to live by the Spirit? I think automatically of Paul's letter to the Galatians. 
Um, and when, when you, if you're familiar with Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's, it's one of his uh, more terse and robust letters. Um, usually Paul starts with what, what we call the, uh, the, the prayer of praise. And, and, and Paul talks about the, the beauty of Jesus and the wonder of salvation. And he, and he talks in glowing terms about that. Like in, in Ephesians, it's almost the entire chapter that's like that. But right in the middle of Galatians, he says, I marvel that you are so quickly leaving the purity of the gospel. He just heads right in there. And so when I think of, of Capital City, this is not a message of correction. Uh, this is more a message of reminder. Because for us, Mercy Commons, what our partnership has, um, has produced in us is these two things. We want to be a community that guards the purity of the gospel. And we want to be a community that lives by the power of the Spirit. So how do we intentionally help each other? How do we help each other while at the same time understand that there are certain things, certain responsibilities that, that are, are simply ours and ours alone? There's the sense in which God has called us to an individual faith, but God has also called us to a corporate faith. Uh, Jesus' church functions better um, when we function interdependently as a body, but dependent on the Holy Spirit, founded on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and empowered by the Spirit for the glory of God the Father. So how do we do that? Because throughout Scripture, there's a sense in which God calls us as individuals to a certain a group of activities and means of grace, whereas he also calls us as a body to do certain things. And so that's why I want to talk out of Galatians 6. And so we're going to be reading Galatians 6, verses 1 to 10. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. Brethren. I like that. Maybe I should start calling Brethren. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load." Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows of the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think one of the first things we've got to look at is the apparent contradiction in this portion of Scripture. Verse 2 says, um, bear one another's burdens. And that word burden is vari. It's, it's the Greek word for a heavy, crushing weight. It's more than a man can carry without help. And so verse 4 says, but let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. And one of the ways that we can make sense of this apparent contradiction is that we need to define what a burden and a load is. And so this morning, what I'm talking about is the loads that we bear and the burdens that we share, because those two words are significantly different. And the word that is used in verse 5 for load is, is literally a backpack. So 
This is a photon, a load, a backpack. This is designed for one person to carry. Have you ever seen two people carry a backpack? Right? Karen, can you come here? So, so this is designed specifically. You have to stand here. We're messing with Mario, so we'll do that. So, so this is... Is that how you put a backpack on? <laughs> Just like, you know. Now, if I were to help Karen and... And like, just walk around, you can go this way. And now, this looks ridiculous, right? Why does it look ridiculous? Because this was not designed to be carried by two people. This was designed to be carried by one person. And so when we look at the Christian life, we need to understand that there are certain things that God, by His grace and through the Spirit, has said, this is your load to carry, and yet there are burdens that we need to share together. Now, burden would be something like that couch or like a table, you know, where, where it's too big and bulky to be able to carry by yourself. So there is no contradiction in what Paul is saying. What Paul is doing is identifying the fact that in a community of faith, there are personal responsibilities and corporate responsibilities. So let's look at that. What, what does that look like? The burden of confession, for example, is a heavy one. And quite simply, the burden of confession is not something that you can do alone. Confession by nature means what? Actually opening your mouth and confessing a sense of temptation or sin to someone else. By nature, it requires two people. The burden of confession would be one. What, what is Paul talking about here in verse 1 where, where he's talking about failure? He's talking about spiritual failure. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual... Restore such a man. The burden being referred to here is a sense of like, this could be temptation, it could be actual failure. But what I love about this is Paul continues, and he says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. A word overtaken is also important there. One of the challenges that we have as leaders, but one of the challenges we all have as a community of faith, is discerning two things. One, is this a load or a burden? And number two, is this person being overtaken by sin? Or is this person running towards sin? Do you understand what overtaken is? Overtaken is I'm running this way, and someone comes from behind me and overtakes me. So what Paul is saying to the Galatian church is be careful because in your Christian walk, you will find people that are trying to walk towards Jesus, trying to do what he's called them to do, and sin will overtake them. There is a way in which you restore such people, and it's with the spirit of gentleness. Now, the Bible is full of what it means to confess, full of what it means when you've sinned, how you are restored. What Paul is saying in this instance is there is a difference between someone who is being overtaken by sin and someone that is pursuing sin. So, for example, if you fail, if you, for example, have a, a, a difficulty with pornography and you fail and you confess your sin to someone and there's a sense in which those men or those ladies are able to gather around you, pray for you, forgive you. And, and let me say this about forgiveness. When someone confesses something to you, please don't say it's okay. It's not okay. But what you can say is it's not okay, but I forgive you. And Jesus forgives you. And let's start from here. Because if someone confesses anything to you and you say it's okay, the power of that repentance is broken because ultimately 
Jesus didn't die for things that were okay. Jesus died for our rebellion and autonomy against God, which was not okay. But he said, in spite of that, I'm going to release you through my blood and ultimately you're going to receive freedom. What we hear from Jesus all the time is, Nick, that's not okay. But I forgive you and I love you. Make sense? So we need to avoid the sense of spiritual superiority. Paul tells us to do that. We need to avoid the sense of that's okay, don't worry about it, it was fine. And we need to be able, as a covenant community, to identify the difference between a burden and a load because that requires a different posture. So maybe some of the things that we need to answer is why are we burdened? So when Paul talks about the, the fact that we are burdened, why are some of the reasons that we are burdened? Why could I be overtaken by sin? And I think one of the, the more important um, reasons that we could be burdened is because we don't necessarily believe that God is good. Psalm 38 verse 4 and 5 says this, For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. Listen to this. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. And let me tell you, that is a visceral psalm, if you continue to read that, about how heavy this writer feels with regards to the sin that he is experiencing. Oftentimes, there's, there's a sense in which we feel that the lack of my goodness, I am not good. So my sin and my regret and my guilt has covered over, and, and because of the sin that I've committed, I'm forgetting that there is grace available to me. Um, I'm, under, I'm suffering the pain of wrong choices and sin, the consequences of decisions that I've made, or I'm suffering the shame and pain of sin that was committed against me. A wretched man that I am. Sometimes I feel like that where Paul is writing, I know the life, Jesus, that you've called me to live. I know that I've been empowered by the Spirit. I know that I'm able to do this, and yet there seems to be this constant battle, and I'm constantly failing. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. And sometimes we just are burdened with a sense of the fact that, that I'm, I'm not good. Well, the, the good news is this. Sometimes we try and prove to God that we are good. The most freedom I've ever experienced in my life is saying to God, I am not good, but you have made me pure and holy and spotless because of the blood of your son. And because of that, I stand in the forgiveness of Jesus. And I don't want to sin again, but even if I do, your blood covers that. Every past, every present, every future failure is covered by that. It no longer has to be a burden. I'm burdened because I feel like I'm not good. I'm burdened because I feel like God is not good. Now, maybe I don't necessarily believe that God is this kind of dictatorial despot and he's anticipating failure and he just can't wait to exert punishment. Or maybe, maybe I don't necessarily believe that he's silent and aloof. He's, he's kind of this absent landlord that's just spun the world into existence and he'll come back one day to sort things out. Or maybe I believe that God is good and he's kind and he's powerful. But what I found is that in all of these things, one of the things that most Christian people struggle with is not the idea that God is good, but the idea that God is not good to me. God is good to her, and God is good to him, and God is good to her, but God's not good to me. I know he is a good God. I know he is a powerful God. I know he could move on my behalf, but he's not good to me. And so the, the burden becomes heavier. I'm not good. 
God is not good. And the third one is that God's people are not good. This is a hard one. Because Paul says in verse 10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Man, when you get hurt by blood family, or you get hurt by your covenant family, that hurts more. It hurts way more than a stranger. Why? Because the idea of family is these are your people. And these are the people that are meant to understand you and protect you and love you and care for you. When you get hurt by them and burdened by them, it just hurts all that much more. I'm not proud of this, but uh, when Karen and I first started dating, we, uh, we would take these kids, um, and for all intents and purposes, they, they were juvenile delinquents. We didn't have juvie in, in South Africa. We had a reform schools, um, and, and the kids that would behave well would get to go on a canoe trip with us and a bike trip with us and, and, a, and a hike with us. So this was like a five-day hike in the mountains. And, um, and there was this one young man called Kenneth. And I'll never forget Kenneth because Kenneth never stopped talking. Never. Not for one moment did he stop talking. And, and we are hiking, and it is exhausting. And he is just talking and talking and talking. And so we stop by this river, and we fill up our water bottles. And one of the young guys says, let's put rocks in his backpack. And I'm like, that's me exactly. I'm like, that's messed up. He's like, if he's tired, he won't talk. Karen was there. Just so you know, Karen didn't say no. All y'all who think she's pure as the driven snow, she didn't say no. So we say to, Kevin, to, to Kenneth, hey, Kenneth, why don't you climb up that hill? Let's see if we're headed in the right direction. I, I feel even more embarrassed telling the story now. now. Kevin, climb up the hill. Let's go in that direction. As he goes up, let me tell you, the energy that was buzzing from all these tired kids now, here's a rock, there's a rock. We put these rocks in Kevin's backpack. He comes down. As he comes down, um, we don't allow him to pick up his backpack, right? We lift his backpack up, you know, and we help him put his backpack on. And so he puts his backpack on, and he's standing like this, and he's like, oh, this, this, feels, this feels right. Oh, it's fine. You're probably just tired. Let's just go, you know? And then... As Kevin continues, you know, he's not talking anymore. His posture is like, oh, my goodness, he's climbing up there. But he's not talking, right? So all of us are happy. This is the problem. The conviction of the Lord comes upon me, and I said to him, Kevin, I mean, Kenneth, stop, bro. We, we put rocks in your backpack. He's like, I'm not that stupid. I'm like, no, bro, seriously, we put, we put rocks in your backpack. We loaded you. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done it. He's like, I'm not that stupid. I know what this is all about. I'm going to put my backpack down, and you're going to say, huh, you're so stupid, Kenneth. There's no rocks in the backpack, and I'm going to look even worse. And so he just continues. And we went for the whole day. And poor Kenneth, when he got to what really was just a piece of dirt where we, started, where we started camping, put his backpack down and slept for like 12 hours, you know. I felt so bad. I felt like, oh my goodness, here I am. I'm supposed to be leading this. And I felt like those Pharisees that Jesus was talking about, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear on them, and will not raise a finger to help them move them. What's the point that I'm saying is sometimes the burden of being 
um, let down or sinned against by the people of God is even worse. Because part of, part of having to deal with Kenneth the next day was not just the fact that he was tired and exhausted, but the fact that I'd broken trust with him. And I was someone that, that was meant to be looking out for him. I was someone that was meant to be for him. His whole life, no one had done that. Shame on you, right? I know. I know. Um, but, but what happened during that time is I realized that, man, it's much heavier when we experience that through the body of Christ. And so when our burdens are, are I am not good, or God is not good, or God's people are not good, because I've experienced something like this, it is very, very heavy to bear. Now, this can be intentional or unintentional. I mean, this was unfortunately very intentional for me, but we could hurt people in the context of our family or body unintentionally. This is the joy that I find, that in, in the Gospels, as Jesus is going around teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and in the letters that Paul has written to the churches, there is a lot of information about how to deal with hurt and pain in the body of Christ. You know why that's exciting for me? Because it was not unanticipated. There wasn't a sense of like, oh my goodness, how do we deal with disagreement in the body of Christ? Oh my goodness, how do we deal with if someone sins against me? Oh my goodness, how do I deal if someone has let me down? It's in there. And so if we are a people that guard the gospel, we also guard gospel ways of dealing with disappointment and being let down. So how do we share these burdens? Verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that also he will reap. And it goes down and continues to tell you these things. And in the past, what we've done is we've taken this verse and we've pulled it out of its context and we've used it in, in the context of financial help. You know, Don't be mocked. You know, whatever man sows, he reaps. But it's in the context of personal interactions with a covenant community. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. If he sows to the flesh, he will reap corruption. And so let us not grow weary in doing good. So traditionally, we've read these as, as simply practical ways or financial help. And it's true, but it's insufficient. So these are some of the ways that we can help people that are carrying burdens in the body of Christ. The one is to sow, as Paul is saying. The one is to sow your mouth. What does that even mean? Okay, In public ways, to remind people who they are in Jesus. There is something quite powerful when you look at someone and you tell them that they are a forgiven son and daughter of the living God. That, that if there was no one else on the face of this planet, that Jesus would have sacrificed himself for you. That regardless of the sin that you have committed, you are not alone because Jesus is with you and so am I. There's something also powerful my wife and I have done this to each other. Something powerful of holding someone's face and saying, stop listening to the devil. What, what you're thinking and what you're hearing is not of God. And so we sow our mouths. Worship. Guys, worship is one of the most powerful ways that we can sow with our mouths. Why? Worship is one of the most sublime experiences for me because when I look around in our community and I see men and women, and as a pastor, I know what they're going through. And, and I know that it is the anniversary of one, of one of the people in our community, the death of their spouse. It's the anniversary of, their, of, of the death of their spouse. She's been alone for ages. And she has her hands raised to Jesus, and she is singing about how good God is. Man, does that stir me. 
when I look around and I can see, and you do the same because you know each other. You look around and you know people's personal situations and you see them just, just declaring, is he worthy? Yes, he is worthy. It shifts something in us. We sow our mouths privately when we pray for people. You guys have just gone through a series on, on prayer. And so one of the things that we do is we declare to one another, but we also privately pray. Why do we do this? Because we have one of two, generally speaking, we, we, we tend to, to go one way or another. When, when we're dealing with either conflict or sin in the body of Christ, we're either too quick to confront or we just enable it. And so what prayer does is it helps us to, to be able to have the wisdom to say, God, help me. I try and do this. God has said to me, before, if you're going to speak 10 minutes to that person, have you at least prayed half that amount of time to me? Maybe ask me what I think about it. I mean, and it hasn't been the sense of like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I did. I felt embarrassed that God had to remind me. But it is one of those things. God, if, if I'm going to talk to someone about the way they're behaving, I'm going to talk to someone about their choices, I'm going to challenge someone about those kinds of things, I want to make sure that I've prayed to you. I want to make sure that your Holy Spirit has gone before. I want to make sure that you guard the, the unity of this church and the peace. That is one of the most important things I can do. And then, God, I, I need the wisdom to know how to speak these things. I need to know what to do. We can sow our active and passive presence. So how do we share burdens? We, we sow our mouths, but we also sow our active and passive presence. In verse uh, 11 of that visceral Psalm 38, he says, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. There is an underestimated power of presence, just silent presence. There have been times when my wife has just said, just sit with me. Now, that's mainly because I talk too much, but, but just sit with me, just be with me. I don't necessarily need you to pray for me. I don't need you to talk. I just, I just need you to sit with me. There's an underestimated power to that, but there's also active presence. Verse 1, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass or caught in a sin, you who are spiritual Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. And that word restore is the same word that is used to set a broken bone. It's also the same word that is used when we talk about mending nets. There is something that needs to be fixed here. You who are spiritual, restore someone. So when someone comes to confess, pray for him. Pray for her. These are ways in which we can actually help carry the burden. We can be actively present. We can confess our sins one to another. Matt was telling me about a, a group that he has, uh, has been leading, and it's, it's been incredibly fruitful. And one of the things that the Bible tells us is confess your sins one to another. Now, the confession of a temptation is different to the confession of a failure, right? But when we confess temptation, what does that do? That's right. It opens the door for the rest of your body to be praying for you. So when you're tempted, confess that temptation so that your body can be praying for you, so that they can stand firm with you, so that they don't necessarily need um, to be able to restore or fix that broken net or that broken bone. 
but they're able to, by the grace of God, act proactively. When we saw our active presence, we are accountable with each other face to face. Now, there's something to be said for digital accountability, but let's be honest. There's nothing like standing face to face with someone and saying, Rick, I have to tell you something. Kevin, I have to tell you something. This is hard. This is not the way the world operates. This is not the way the rest of, of communities, we just hide things, we pretend like everything is okay. And what Paul is saying is, if you want to be a community that guards the purity of the gospel, you want to be a community that lives by the power of the Spirit, this is what it looks like. Confess your sins one to another. We need to be those that are more interested in restoring than in blaming. I am a blame person. Because my thing is like, well, let's figure out what you did. And if you don't do that again, then it won't happen again. Uh, I'm not really the restoring kind, which is why I married Karen. So, for example, we'll come in my house and the blinds are broken. And my immediate thought is not to fix the blinds. My immediate thought is like, who did this? I need to find out who did this because I will feel better. Now, this is not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is our job is to restore such a one. Now, I'm not saying let's not look for patterns of behavior that are unhelpful. We, we do those things. But, but our initial response is, brother, sister, let me help restore you. Let me help you with this burden. Let me make sure that you don't feel condemnation so that the enemy cannot lie to you. Why do we need wisdom? We need wisdom to know whether this is a load or a burden. We've covered that. But we also need wisdom to know whether the suffering and the trial that this person is under, is this a suffering and a trial that is the purifying fire of God? Or is this because of their own stupidity and bad choices? I remember trying to help someone early on in my, um, in my call as a pastor. And it just blew up in my face. I won't, I won't tell you the details, but it just completely blew up in my face. And I went to God and I'm like, God, how could you let this happen? I just, I did what was right to do. And he said this to me, he said, Nick, who told you to snatch people out of the fire that I've started? That's why you burnt your hands. That's my fire. I'm doing that. And one of the questions we've got to ask when it comes to helping people with burdens and loads, the wisdom to actually go before God with a heart posture to say, God, I want to, I want to restore someone. I want to make sure that this person is, that is being overtaken by sin is not in a place where they are just weary and wanting to give up. One of the questions we've got to ask, God, is this a, is this a trial, a purifying trial that you have this person through that I can just sit with them and help? Because I don't want to put out a fire that God is using to purify their faith. Plus, I'm just going to burn my hands. The setting of a bone, the spiritual restoration, it has to be done delicately. Now, now what he's saying here is not that it's only leaders that can do that. But there is a sense of, of you who are spiritual. There's a sense of maturity. There's a sense of knowing what you're doing. Um, I've broken my collarbones multiple times. And um, when I was five, I broke... I, I broke it and then cracked it. And so I had to go to the doctor. And in order to properly restore me, he had to put me on this table and he grabbed me by my shoulders and he had to break it again so that he could mend it. And so he put me down like that. And I mean, 
I clearly remember this. And he, he put me down and he just pushed hard, like bang. And then it snapped. And then he put me in one of those weird contraptions for like a couple of weeks where I had to, to walk like that. And, and he restored that. That was because I was five. My bones were a whole lot easier to heal back then. In my 20s, when I broke my collarbone, I was in a car accident and it, it started to mend like this. I was in the hospital for two days um, and the orthopedic surgeon only came on the Tuesday. And so he said to me, well, we could just let it heal like that. I mean, you're not going to be a model or anything, so you, know, you don't need this clear straight line. So I've got like, you know those ruffle chips? You know, like my, that's what my collarbone looks like, like uh, over there. But there's a sense in which restoration, even kind and gentle restoration, can hurt sometimes because it's for our own good. But please don't go around breaking people's bones. There, there needs to be a sense, like Paul says, you who are spiritual. And one of the things that you've got to discern in the context of this is when is it the right time for me to take this out of the context of the family of God and bring it to leadership and say, I, I need your help here. I don't know what to do. I've been trying things and I don't want to make things worse. So please, will you help me? The last way that we can help with burdens is that we sow our time, talents, and treasures. Now, this is, this is clear. Let, let him who is taught in the word share in all good things with him who teaches. This is where I think sometimes leaders fall through the cracks. Because what, what Paul is saying, there is a sense of partnership in the one that teaches and the one that receives teaching. And in the context of caring for one another, what he's saying, let him who is taught in the word share in all good things. And in, in kind of my, my calling as a pastor, I've seen the sense that there is an assumption that your elders and leaders and life group leaders and children's ministry workers, they're good. Everything is fine. We, we don't necessarily need, need to worry about them. But there's very simple things that you can do that can make your leaders' lives simpler. Simpler. Simple things. Someone dropped off some groceries at our house. Maybe you can call and take the kids out. It, 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 look, it's not dramatic. Karen came to me today and she said, Hey, I've been thinking about this widow in our, in our church, and I would love to just um, bless her with a photo shoot um, because her, I mean, her dad is 90-something um, and he just went into the ER. I mean, that's simple, right? It's not very expensive. But when we say to God, God, how, how can we bear the burden of one another in this? What, what does my time, talent, treasure look like in this area? Like, what can I do? I'm just 16. There is so much you can do. You could literally mow someone's lawn. You can wash someone's car. I've said to someone, if you love me, don't wash my feet. Wash my car. You know, so there are, there are lots of things that we, we all look for these grand things. No, simple things matter a lot. And the reason why I can say this with such clarity is because your leadership team is not a leadership team that lords it over. Your leadership team is not a leadership team that takes advantage. Your leadership team needs help with their burdens. There needs to be a sense of sharing that burden. Yes, they have a load that they've said yes to God to, and that is their load to carry. But they could do with some help in terms of the burdens, and he did not tell me to say that. He's probably really embarrassed right now. What about our load? 
What is it that we have to carry? Each one is to examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. This backpack, it means a military backpack. It's something that is given to a marching soldier. So this is something that is given to you purposefully. I'll tell you a story. Do we, do we have that, that slide up? I was in Nepal, like I said, a year ago, and um, someone came to me and he said, hey, um, would you mind taking something from Nepal to India for me? Um, it's just some cheese. And I said, sure. I mean, what do you think of when someone says, can you take some cheese, right? You're thinking probably about this size, right? I mean, even this would be big for cheese, right? So I say to him, sure, I'll, I'll take some cheese for you. Can, will you look at that? Okay, that is a 12-pound wheel of yak cheese. Okay, 12 pounds wheel of yak cheese. I'm in the Kathmandu airport. Look, look at that woman's face, Right? She's like, what, how do you expect me to help with this, you know? I'm like, what can I do? Because I couldn't put it in my luggage. I couldn't fit it in my backpack. I had to take everything out of my backpack, fill it in. This was the backpack that I put it through. I had to go through three airports. Yeah, it is. But, but rocks don't start to melt when it gets hot. Cheese starts to melt when it gets hot. And so as I'm going through every one of these like um, x-ray places, of course, uh, sorry, sir, is this your bag? Yeah, it's my bag. Uh, what's in it? Cheese. <laughs> I, I kid you not. I mean, and we are not in London or Paris or whatever. We are in Kathmandu in India, New Delhi. Even they are saying, cheese? What on earth? Why would you carry cheese through an airport? Why would you carry a 12-pound why? Because I did not ask. How big is this? What is it for? Like, no, this is, this, I, I, after, I don't have time to tell you this, after a horrible day of travel, we eventually get to the airport. We have to take this drive to the foothills of the Himalayas where I thought I was going to die um, because of how treacherous the road was. You know where they go like this and then suddenly you have to reverse to let him through and it's so high and I'm so sick. And I, I, I take this cheese and I just dump it on the table because the rest of the guys are already there and I'm, here's your cheese. <laughs> Do you know what he said to me? Would you like some? Would I like some? That's what you have to tell me? Would I, I carried your 12-pound wheel of cheese for you. He says, well, I didn't ask you to. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to throw this at you. Why am I telling you that story other than I think it's a funny story? Um, I did not, with full kind of uh, disclosure, accept that mission. But there's a mission that, that we have been given. There's a commission that we've been given. Um, and we have been provided with things in our backpack to actually say, this is what I've called you to do. This is the load that you are to carry. And so everyone's load is a little different. Everyone's backpack has maybe different tools and things in there, but there are things that are in every one of our backpacks. And one of the things that we have to carry on our own is our message. 
Every single one of us are heralds. It's not just Matt, that's the herald. Every single one of us have a message. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We were having dinner last night and we were talking about the upheaval that this year has been and, and, and the anger and the, and the bitterness and the disappointment in people. Why? Because there is this collective howl in the souls of people. Things are not the way they should be. We have the answer. We know the way that God created things was perfect. We know why things are broken because of the fall. We know why there's a sense of hope that we can have in the redemption of Jesus Christ. And we know at the end, he will return to make all things good. We have a compelling message that's in our backpack. The message is not about an oppressed class of people and a powerful class of people. That's not the message. That is what is being transmitted through every narrative in the context of our nation. Is there are the oppressed and there are the powerful? No. In Egypt, when God met his people, his issue was not the oppressed and the powerful. His issue was, how do I release you from the burden of sin? Everyone that was under the blood of the lamb, Egyptian or Jewish, was passed over. Everyone. It wasn't about whether you were part of the oppressed class or whether you were part of the oppressor. It was, have you submitted to the blood of Jesus Christ? Because that is what brings you freedom out of the land of Egypt into the land of promise. And so that's our message. Our message is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. There is a God who will return to make all things well. What about our personal maturity? The means of grace that God has given us. We have a message. We have personal means of maturity. You guys have gone through the series on prayer. Corporate prayer, essential, personal prayer, fasting, devotion, meditation, scripture reading. Those things are vital. God has given them to you in your backpack to be able to not only help your covenant community bear the burden, but to be able to speak words of hope and peace and reconciliation to the world that he sent you to. That's what those things are for, your means of maturity. That's why Paul says in verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap eternal everlasting life. He's not talking about finances there. He's referring to chapter 5 where he says, This is what it looks like to live in the Spirit. All of these things. This is what life in the Spirit looks like. This is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like. The fruit of the Spirit is tested in the law of Christ, where he says, because of the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God through loving people. That's the law of Christ. We have a mission and a means. Our mission is to make disciples. Our means is by whatever means necessary. Are you at home with your children? Those are your disciples. Are you at work? Do you have a hobby? What, what sphere of influence do you have to be able to fulfill the commission that God has given you. This same hiking trip, we had this massive pot. There were 15 of us. We had this massive cast iron pot. I don't know why it was cast iron. It, it was. It weighed a lot. And we used to call it burden. Who has burden? No one wanted to carry burden because it would like double your pack weight. And so I would end up carrying burden. And it would put, he didn't even fit in my backpack. We had to kind of strap him to the back of the backpack. And when, when things got 
like really intense and we were going really high and Karen would hold on to, now some of you are way too young to remember backpacks with external frames, okay? So there's an external frame and there's like a loop at the back for your, you know. Well, what Karen would do is just hold on to that loop, which was not meant for human travel. And when things got hard, she would just hold on to that, put her head down, and then every now and then I would just stop, and then she would hit her head on burden, you know. She would be like, donk, you know. Do you know why that never got heavy for me, and I was happy to carry it? Because at the end of the day, we'd make a meal for everyone in that. And if we didn't have this burden, if we didn't have this weight, if we, if we didn't have a purpose for what we were carrying, we would start to resent it and we would throw it away. And that's what happens with us, where God has given us in our backpack for the commission, go out and make disciples. He's given us all these things and we start to resent the weight of it because we're not using them. We're not using them for the purpose for which they were designed. And so just like burden the pot, I was happy. I was happy to put burden the pot on me because I knew that when we got to dinner, I'd be able to put burden the pot on there and, and we would all be filled. And so I want to ask you, is there a sense of resenting the backpack that God has given you, the weight and discomfort? Because if there is, there's a solution. The solution is not to let it go. The more we use it, the more grateful we are for it. The more vision and purpose we understand about what God has put in our backpack, actually the stronger we become. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Maybe this morning you're just weary. Maybe you're weary of helping others. Like, I help my kids, I help my husband. Who is helping me? Maybe you're weary because you're carrying the burden of unconfessed sin. It's a heavy burden. Maybe you need to confess to someone, pray so that you could be healed. Maybe you're weary because your military backpack is getting heavier and you don't have much to show for it. There isn't the sense of purpose that kind of rotates your life. I was at Chocolate Fish yesterday and I was just spending some time doing some prep and there was a, a group of young people talking about shame and guilt. They were talking about penance. One of them said to the other, do you know what penance is? Yeah, those are guys that rent your house. No, no, not tenants. Penance. Do you know what penance is? And they're like, yeah, that's a, that's a Catholic thing, right? And, and I, I hear them try and explain what penance is where, you know, where, oh, yeah, isn't that where, you, where, where someone pays, where you do something wrong and then you pay? Uh, and, then, and then, you know, they, no, no, this is what someone said. It's when you do something wrong and you have to go through punishment for it to be okay. I'm like, wow. And then there's this other lady, she, she speaks up and she said, Jesus took my penance. I don't have to pay any penance. Because the only thing I think of is that, is that Jesus is the one that paid for the burden of my sin. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm preparing this and I'm, I, I so badly want to talk to them. But 
I don't think I had a mask, or I don't know what was going on. But, but I remember this scripture. 1 Peter 2, verse 24, it says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on that tree. That word, that word bore is the same as bear, burdens. He, he literally bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By his stripes you were healed. For you all like sheep have gone astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for the joy that most of us in this room experience, that we don't have to pay penance, that we don't have to maintain our salvation that we are not saddled by guilt, shame, or regret, that we are free because you bore our sins on your body on that tree. I want to thank you that not only did you rescue us, but you gave us purpose. You placed us in a faith community. You gave us, each one of us, gifts, talents, and strengths that we are able to image you in this world and to be able to, to bear the burdens of our brothers and sisters. But you also gave us our own specific backpack. God, I want to pray in the name of Jesus that if there are any that are weary because they have been carrying loads of unconfessed sin, if anyone that is weary because they, they feel like they've been helping others, but no one is helping them. There are those that are weary because their backpack is heavy and they haven't seen anyone even come to faith in years. God, I want to pray in the name of Jesus that by your Holy Spirit, you would flood us by your grace. And I want to pray first and foremost that your Spirit would remind us that you took that burden off us that you would remind us that Jesus' words were, come to me, those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my burden is easy. And I want to thank you that we know the reality that there is a yoke, there is a burden that we carry, but it is easier because we learn from you and you walk with us. And I want to thank you for the privilege of being part of a community that can help us with our burdens. And so, Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters, grace, faith, and strength in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.